Ever heard of Kanzuk or interested in free trade? Well, this podcast episode might be for you. Welcome to Politics from the Moon. Welcome to another episode of Politics from the Moon. My name is Ross Evans, and this is the podcast that tries to bring politics down to earth. Joining me on this week's episode is a Conservative Member of Parliament in the British Parliament, the Member of Parliament for Montgomeryshire, and the recently appointed Parliamentary Private Secretary to the Chief Secretary of the Treasury, Craig Williams MP. Craig, welcome to the programme. Hi, Ross. What a delight. <laughs> Lovely to see you again. So for our uh, listeners across the UK and the wider world, I was wondering if you could just start by telling us a little bit about your constituency of Montgomeryshire, uh, what it means to you to be the Member of Parliament, and what exactly does a parliamentary private secretary do? (laughs) Three good questions. Well, Montgomeryshire is the middle of Wales, so anyone that looks at the map of Wales, there's there's a glorious chunk, a glorious green, hilly wonderful chunk in the middle and it's called Montgomeryshire. It's ex- ex- the constituency exactly existed. I think it's one of Wales's longest running ones. I want to say 16th, 15th century. I can't remember the exact date. I'll be pummeled for that. But it's got great history to it. It um, it has the original Welsh Parliament in Mahantla that uh, for our nationalist friends to go and pay um, due respect to. Um, but, you know, some tremendous history of that side. So it goes all the way from Mahantla and there is a little bit of tidal estuary. So I can claim a bit of sea, I think, all the way to the English border and the Montgomery famous county town. County uh, town, you you've got a wonderful castle there. I I prefer Powys Castle. That's um, if you've ever been there, Ross. That is a mm-hmm. a glorious sight. Um, it is next, indeed. Next to the canals, overlooking the green rolling hills of Montgomeryshire, and we have a a heritage railway there as well, which uh, we exchange engines around the world. I'm trying to rack my brain whether we exchange one with the country you currently reside but i think taiwan was the last exchange we did of a small little heritage railway engine but you know it's my home as well so it's where i was born and brought up Um, i was born there i was raised there i was uh, notionally educated there for anyone that knows me um and my entire family lived there but it's it's Great. It's a bigger than the Greater London Authority, but it's only got fifty thousand people. So it's um it's a challenge, um, a different challenge to a previous constituency I represented, which was tiny but had lots of people. It's quite the opposite. But um, representing home is is something else. So it's uh, it's quite a rural seat, is it? Hugely rural. Yeah. No, it's um, it's got uh, Welshpool Mart, our major market. It's the biggest sheep meat market in the United Kingdom, or biggest sheep meat market in Europe, I think. Um, so it's it's a hugely rural and it, uh, a huge agricultural community. Uh, and when I say rural, I mean rural UK, not, of course, the Southern Hemisphere <laughs> definition of rural, which would be, probably be Wales. <laughs> So, so most of the issues you deal with would be uh, rural based, such as farming issues and uh, meat, livestock, etc. Absolutely, you know that that the, those are key issues. So, you know, ag- agriculture is our bread and butter. But you know, there is some high tech manufacturing hidden in in Mid Wales. You can't pick up a, a a packet of Cathedral City cheese without the packaging having come environmentally friendly. Mm-hmm. Packaging come from Welshpool. You can't. Uh, most of the UK's uh, cancer. Um, 
uh, biopsies are stored in Newtown. You wouldn't think that, you know, leading leading um, uh, uh, you know bio bioscience research happening in the middle of middle of Wales. And I, I could go on. You know, the the leading fridge for vaccinations in in um, Africa and other 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 places around the world. You know, that solar panelled refrigeration for vaccination is coming from Mahundleth. The headquarters there, so you know Monty's on the map when it comes to lots, lots of things. But bread and butter is is ag- agriculture. And uh, as I said earlier, you were appointed as parliamentary private secretary to the chief secretary to treasury. Uh, what what does that involve? Uh, just for our listeners who are maybe not uh, up to speed with what's known as a PPS. You you mean they haven't been watching? Yes, minister. <laughs> yeah. um, first of all, it doesn't fit on the business card. And trying to explain to anyone you're the uh, Parliamentary private secretary to the chief secretary of the treasury um, is is the job in itself. Um, well, it's it's liaison. So you are the you are the bottom of the ladder um, when it comes to the government uh, payroll. Uh, it's unpaid actually, so it, it's so much on the bottom of the ladder you don't get paid for it. Um, but you know you you liaise between the department. What's my department? The treasury and parliament. Um, it cross party basis. Um, obviously, I. I'm of the blue team, so I would I would consult overly with my colleagues because they're in my phone book. But it's it's also the the, the interlocutor for other parties as well. Uh, so any issues anyone has, um, it's been a busy pandemic. Any issues anyone has with the treasury um, or the chief secretary in particular, uh, your PPS would be your first point of call if you know how the system works. So very busy over the uh, budget period. Yes. So we're spending review primarily. So the budget is a, a chancellor gig. Uh, Chief Secretary has uh, has a huge role in that, as do the rest of the Treasury team. But um, a spending review is very much the Chief Secretary. So watching day-to-day spending efficiencies, um, that are wonderful uh, departments and where they like to spend their taxpayers' money. And uh, what was your journey into politics? I mean, was was becoming an MP something you've always wanted to do, or did you fall into it by accident? How did you find your feet? I fell into being an MP by accident. So I remember the first time I got elected uh, as a member of Parliament, um, and it, I think it was the second time I'd been there. So it was it was not something I'd coveted and gone every day, or uh, thought I, I you know woke up in my late teens and thought I want to be a member of Parliament. Um, I was. I assure you, Ross. Despite the fact you know me, I was perfectly normal in the rugby club until um, uh, uh, early part of my twenties, where I, I got the political bug. I know we both enjoy. Um, how did I get that bug? I was just angry about something, and I suddenly said, well, "What? What do I do?" And I'm still angry about it, about the traffic in Welshpool and the one-way system. Uh, it's still not fixed, and I'm the member of Parliament now. Um, but you know, I went. I went to see um, somebody that we both know, Glyn Davis, who was the, the Assembly member at the time, and we had we started chatting. And he goes, "So you're interested in politics?" And I went, "Well, isn't everyone?" You know, and he went, "No." Um, and a young person had walked into his office, so he didn't let me go. Is the short story, um, and I got involved that way. Yeah, nice. Okay. And uh, in your role as a member of parliament for Montgomeryshire, are there any kind of key campaigning issues that you're active on at the moment, or what, what takes up most of your time at parliament? Well, you know, the run, the run of the mill stuff um, takes up takes up the, the majority of your time, just representing constituents on casework and helping them with their particular bugbears and you know despite the fact um i've got fifty thousand constituents there'll be fifty thousand different priorities mm. so it's 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 juggling that but what i really really care about at the moment is um our, our canal network 
Um, the UK's got a got a glorious canal network, but it's um, it's been fragmented, and it is no more fragmented than in Montgomeryshire, where the Montgomery Canal has been shamefully disconnected from the UK network. And it, and it's it's important for for uh, a couple of reasons. It's important for the heritage of it and the the the, the, the history behind why the canal networks are built and their their first logistical support for the county. But you know, tourism is it's it's a tremendous asset to have when you're connected to any anything of that scale. Um, uh, and and you know, also the huge environmental benefits of just being able to. And we've seen it in this pandemic of just being able to go and walk down some green space. So it's 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 not just about um, uh, me wanting additional canal barges. It's it's about the environmental side. It's about the mental health, peace of mind, about walking down a wonderful stretch of um, uh, countryside, uh, God's own, um, and also the tourists and the economic development side. So that's something I really really care about. Is is getting getting um, that the canal network in the UK, but especially in Midwell's reconnected. And it goes to the heart of loads of issues about what does it mean as the union in the United Kingdom? You know, that's there is a porous border between Montgomeryshire and England or Wales and England. Doesn't exist. It really physically does not exist. You know, my dad works in Telford. My brother works in Oswestry. They both live in Wales. Our district general hospital is in Shrewsbury. Our education system is completely intertwined. These are not two disparate different countries this is this is one um glorious union and uh, and for me that is best represented in my fight to connect our canal network so that's uh that's the one issue ross and uh, you also sit on the international trade select committee am i right yes, uh, yes so could you tell us a little bit about the, the work that that does and how that kind of plays in with uh post-brexit uh united kingdom the select committee is where the i think the the heart of the issues are at the moment it's looking at all our ftas um this week we're looking at the um the fta agreement between the eu and the uk and uh, that's still not ratified by the eu by the way the european parliament so we're looking at the process of that and also the the ongoing process of trade friction that's been created since we've left the eu we looked in detail at the japan um trade deal uh that 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 is hugely significant for people around the world because it was leading in the digital chapter and you know digital uh, trade and how we how we manage the 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 new the new internet trade of which sees very little borders, but transactions going all over the place and how we're going to fund public services in the future where um, this company that's trading hugely in your country is actually based in I'm not going to pick anywhere um, I'll pick Russia they are based in Russia because I can easily offend them and have no repercussions um, but you know that's your podcast gone. Um, <laughs> Uh, and 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 we're looking at looking at that. We're also looking at the trade deals where we're trying to negotiate with Australia and New Zealand right now. Um, and on the agricultural side, it's interesting. And also with the World Trade Organization about uh, animal welfare, about uh, agricultural standards, production standards. Um, and these are things that really haven't been tackled by the world. And it's not us leading on it. Australia, New Zealand, Canada, other countries have been pushing the. World Trade Organization to get around the table and look at these huge meaty issues, literally, um, that uh, that haven't haven't been tackled properly, and, and you know sustainability and we've got COP twenty six and it all intertwines into trade. The, it is we we can be as environmentally sustainable and reduce our carbon footprint and all the rest of it 
But if we just continue to buy stuff from China and other countries that ignore those standards, well, what we're doing is we're, we're moving it out of sight and out of mind. And we feel awfully good about ourselves, but we're doing nothing for the planet. So it's, it's a fascinating committee to be on, which touches everything. But it's also a new one, of course, for Britain, because we haven't done trade for 40 years. We gave that um, competence power little bit of our sovereignty to the European Union and we've just got it back. Well, I know that there's a general feeling in both Australia and New Zealand that uh, they've, they've never really forgiven the UK for what they see as uh, being shunned <laughs> for the because be, uh, prior to the European Union, of course, uh, the main element of trade for the uh, Australia and New Zealand was with the UK, and now it's shifted to China. So how do you think that uh, you're going to kind of refocus that element of trade from this part of the world back to the UK? Well, I, th- I think just by the nature of our closeness of systems, if you look at our legal system, our parliamentary system, our cultures, our backgrounds, the way we think, live, uh, the freedoms we all enjoy, they're, they're just completely intertwined. Um, you know, what, we went into a common market, we went into the European Union, it was a wonderful experiment, which which has, has, has now ended for us. Um, but equally, uh, we, we're seeing a much more aggressive China in the world. We're seeing... Um, uh, a very different China than if you just looked. I remember going to Chengdu and visiting China four or five years ago, and it was the, the belt and braces. Well, I can't remember what it was called. Anyway, they got this belt strategy, um, and they, they were completely um, bought into the, the the Western domination and how they would work with it. They're, they're not anymore. They they see that they they think they see. You can see it in their strategies and. That follows trade, finance, military power as well. That they, they think the West is vulnerable. So I, I think that that strategy, um, underpinned by the fact we're all very like-minded, similar, and enjoy the same freedoms and and value the same things, will will lead to a very close relationship. Um, I've spoken to both the high commissioners of both your, the respective countries you mentioned, and they are incredibly excited, as is our negotiation team, for a, a much closer relationship. And that's, that's not just trade, it's not just science, it's not just military um, capability through other treaties. Um, and if you look at our, our signal sharing, the intelligence, the five eyes, you know, we are an incredibly close country when it comes to security. So why wouldn't we be on everything else if we're close enough on the most important thing for all of our citizens' security, it will follow, I think, the rest. And uh, that leads us nicely into another segue of something else you're quite passionate about or quite a strong proponent of, which is uh, known as Kanzuk or the Canada, UK, New Zealand and uh, Australia. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about what exactly that entails? Well, I've, d- I've, done, um, I've done a couple of speeches on this, and I'm a member of the APBG and all the rest. Um, but I, I think it does build on what we were just talking about, that we are we are similar um, a body uh, collaboration of nations. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to go down the Commonwealth rabbit hole because I think it's much wider and much deeper um, than that. But that, that's a good starting base, uh, that Five Eyes Intelligence um uh, signals uh, we we share um, is incredibly important and a good underpinning. But y- you look at everything else. If you look at um, just uh, our, our visa systems and how we how we um, share labour markets as well, you know, there's massive scope there. If you look at our universities um, and education, if I went to my young farmers and I remember this um, in, the, in the in the in the prism of Brexit that where they were on about things like Erasmus. Now, young farmers in Montgomeryshire, they want to go to New Zealand and Australia. They want to share 
best practice with farmers. They say they don't want to go to France or Spain or Italy. It's for the birds, you know, and this is, this is the great disconnect between our wonderful metropolitan elite and the people outside the cities. Um, you know, they, they see the future, especially agricultural communities, with with um, farming communities that share their beliefs and share their practice and share um, so much of what we we cherish. And that's why I think there there's a lot of legs in uh, that relationship between Canada, uh, Australia, and New Zealand specifically. Um, and we'll see that through CTPT, yeah, the Cross Trans Pacific Partnership, um, which we we have formally applied to join now. But am I right in thinking that um, the, the bare basics of the Kanzuk uh, idea is for free trade and freedom of movement between those four countries? Yes, yeah, but that, that that that's that's at the nub of it, and it's um or freedom freedom of labour. Um, you know, we've we've just left a block with freedom of movement, and we're slightly there are some scars on our back because of it. But you know, the 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 principle of you know, freedom movement of labour, um, I think is a good one. You know, what you don't want is to lean on other countries and abuse their welfare systems and abuse um the 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 freedoms that we could we could all put in together. But if you wanted to work or school or uh, raise a family and add add to each other's countries. I think that's that's a really good proposition. Okay, well, uh, looking forward to uh, the, the the future. Uh, you've touched upon uh, COVID a few times. Uh, are there any I, things that you would like to see happen in the, in the coming years? Like, for example, uh, the starting of travel bubbles. We've just in Australia starting a travel bubble with uh, New Zealand. Uh, I know that the UK is more, much more far advanced with the uh, vaccination program than uh, Australia or New Zealand, for example. But w- what are you uh, hoping to see uh, in the future? Uh, my my main push is the vaccination program. So you know we are we are significant um, uh, contributors to Covax and getting this vaccine around the world, not just the United Kingdom. Um, you know if you see the AstraZeneca vaccination the way that was put together is it's done for cost you know the uk government put a lot of the r&d money up with the private company and now it it will be the hopefully the most effective and cheapest uh, uh and the cost benefit I, I suppose i'm saying you will get more expensive ones that are more effective or you will get um uh, uh cheaper ones that are less effective i think it is a really good vaccination which we now need to roll out across the world at pace mm. um and that that will that will underpin the reopening of international travel um otherwise of course we're gonna have to have to look at the corridor um test and trace uh and and probably quarantining and bubbling um as you alluded to but you know it's what's going to underpin a real opening of the world again is a huge vaccination program. Um, and that's what will curtail variants as well. If it is rife in countries, you will get different variants and there lies the danger. Uh, a variant that is the vaccination is less effective on um, scares uh, policy uh, makers around the world. Okay, well, look, I, I know uh, you're short of time, so I, I've just finished up by asking you if, if there are anybody listening out there right now who would like to uh, follow yourself and maybe become a member of parliament or even just uh, join a, a, a political party, uh, what, what tips would you give to them on how to do that? Just do it. You know, that's that's the number one tip. You know, you can overthink these things, hugely overthink. I'm not from a political family. I remember my mum gave one one interview and she still still 
uh, is scarred by this to a journalist, and she and she's not political. She said she wasn't political. She doesn't understand the political system. She didn't particularly have a ever a tribe, be it conservative, Labour, or liberal. She does now, by the way. Anyone asking? No, no point canvassing her now. Um, but you know, she had, to, uh, and that's everyone in my family. They all think I'm a bit of a black sheep. But that's because I got interested and I just did it. And one day I'm sure I'll sit down and think, how the hell did I get here? Um, or how, how did this happen? Um, but the number one thing about people uh, in, in politics, especially like every other career in the world, um, is you just need to get off your bottom and do it um, and just get get involved, you know. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with being involved in the community council level, the town council level, the local authority. I was a councillor for um, a decade, and I thoroughly enjoy and miss aspects of being a county councillor. Um, so it's it's get stuck in. And don't don't turn up on day one and say you want to be the MP, I think. <laughs> see, see, it's not all great, this job. You need, you need pretty thick skin. So it's uh, <laughs> be robust and just do it. And uh, in terms of if, if somebody wanted to um, know why, for instance, you chose the Conservative Party, can you tell us a little bit uh, about what, in your own words, they stand for and why you decided to join the Conservatives? I think I think it stems from the fact I'm a bit of a, a libertarian and I really think that people should be responsible for their own their own way of conducting their lives. Of course, we need a common um, rule book and, you know, but in the, in the UK we pl- and a lot of the world, uh, we police by consent, so that means you you assume most of the population are going to follow the rules, but then you punish people that, that aren't. And what my politics, I think, stems from the fact that I just don't think the state should be telling people how to live their lives, what to eat, what to drink. Um, I'm very uncomfortable with with much of the um, COVID response in my country. Um, much of, uh, you know, we are regulating people's households at the moment. It really doesn't sit well with me, but it's a global pandemic. So we'll, we'll forgive it for a little bit more, but you know, that's, that's what's, that's what's at the heart of what I thought, but there's so much on the internet now that, you know, you can sit down and you will, you will get a quick flavor of who you like and who you don't like. Um, but you know, just a, just a caution that, um, any anyone that says they completely 100% agree with their party, treat them with absolute suspicion. Okay, well, look, uh, thank you very much for your time today, Craig. I wish you all the best for your future uh, in terms of both the family life and uh, being the MP for Montgomeryshire. And who knows where you might end up in the cabinet. <laughs> Cheers, Ross. <laughs> all the best. That was Craig Williams, the Member of Parliament for the constituency of Montgomeryshire in the UK. If you would like to hear more from Craig, you can follow him on social media, on Facebook at craig for montgomeryshire and on Twitter at craig for monty that's with the number four. You can also visit his website, which can be found at www.craig-williams.org.uk. Alternatively, if you'd like to know more about Kanzuk and what that involves, you can head to their website at www kanzukinternational.com kanzuk of course spelt c-a-n-z-u-k that's all for this week i hope you enjoyed this episode and as always if you are enjoying the series please consider subscribing on whichever platform you may be listening to if you'd like to find out more information about politics from the moon or indeed about contacting us to be on the show please visit our website which can be found at www.podcastsfromthemoon.com 
And we're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Podcast from the Moon. But that's all for this week. Until next time, I've been Ross Evans, and I wish you all a good night and good luck. <laughs>